Well, good evening. Thank you for coming out tonight. Trust the Lord to bless our time together in His Word. Uh, I heard uh, twice today that next week in the evening is testimony time. I'm not going to be here. Um, but we sang this song, Just As I Am, and I'm going to give you a very brief testimony as to how I accepted the Lord or when I accepted the Lord. It's verse 5. It was this song that the Spirit of God used to really force the issue. It's always the Spirit of God who forces the issue. And it says, Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. And I knew uh, everything in that line. You know, I, I knew the Word of God. I knew the way of salvation. I knew I needed to be committed to Christ, but you know, I had never done it. And at that moment when I sang this song, the two words that struck me that the Spirit of God drove home is, I come, I come. The Spirit of God was saying, Bob, it's time to come now. And at that moment, I accepted the Lord. That's just a very simple version of my testimony. There's obviously more to it, but ultimately, the bottom line is, I came. And that's what we all have to do, come to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off this morning, but there are a couple of new faces here tonight, so we're going to take just a moment uh, to review very briefly just a little bit about what we talked about this morning. The, the uh, subject before us while I'm here this time this uh, winter will be the seven statements of Christ from the cross. We all know the seven statements, but we're going to look at them in a little bit more detail. And of course, we start out by pointing out that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered uh, severely. From the time he left the riches of glory and came into the sin-cursed earth until the time he was nailed to the cross. And we pointed out that during that time, he never said a word. But once he was on the cross, he said seven things. And of course, the first of those seven things is found in the, uh, Luke 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And here we had the prayer of intercession for sinners. And he was praying that God the Father would forgive those sinners. And the intercession for prayer is so important for sinners. And as we went a little bit further, his prayer also is a fulfillment of a prophetic scripture. And this is something that I forgot to mention this morning. I knew when I came down, I had forgotten something. And believe it or not, a little dear lady from the home here came back and talked to me just about something and what John had to say in a diff uh, different account of this. And she said, the thing that really thrills my heart so much is that in all of these things, every one of them was a fulfillment of Scripture. And no wonder the Lord made me understand I forgot something, because this is a very important thing. This is one of those things that is vital to understand, that everything that the Lord did including the seven statements on the cross, was to fulfill the scriptures. And that's how we know 
that he is the only true and living God. So I want to emphasize again, uh, I missed that this morning. I knew I had missed something. And it was a fulfillment of the scriptures uh, because we read uh, in God's word, in Isaiah 53, 12, he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. There's the fulfillment of that particular scripture. So I had to make sure I brought that out tonight. And of course, as we talk about the fact they knew not what they were doing, well, they knew what they were doing from a physical perspective. They were crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ, which was the desire of their hearts and lives. But what they didn't know was that the one they were crucifying was the Lord of glory. And people are ignorant today, willfully ignorant of that very same truth. And we mentioned the one born in the manger was the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And unfortunately, the world doesn't see it that way. Praise God for those of us who the Spirit of God opened our eyes to that truth. And it was the Lamb of God who was nailed to that cross, the Son of God. The only true and the living God is the one who is making this statement, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And finally here we see the point of the redeeming love of God has made forgiveness possible. His being on the cross is the only basis by which we can have sins forgiven. Now the second statement is found in Luke 23, verses 42 and 43. And we're going to take a moment to read those, even though we read them this morning. It won't take us long to look at those things, but this is what we're going to be focusing on in detail tonight. The second statement, and Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now this is also a fulfillment of the same passage that I just quoted in Isaiah. You know, he was numbered amongst the transgressors, and he interceded on behalf of the transgressors. And we see here the salvation and vividly showing that God's great salvation and how man responds to it. And that's what we're going to focus on this evening. And of course, we see that salvation is by grace and mercy. By grace are you saved through faith in the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's according to his mercy that he saves those who will look to him for salvation. Now, one other thing we emphasize is the importance of, re of repentance. And, you know, it's, repentance is something that we are hearing less and less of today, even in uh, evangelical services and people who used to hold truth and repentance. You know, and repentance is so vital. Uh, without repentance, uh, there is no forgiveness of sins. You know, Jesus Christ, he said, I, I came and didn't call, call, to come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners to repentance. Jesus Christ said, unless you repent, you too shall perish. Repentance is vital. 
And of course, repentance is basically a change of mind and attitude about God, sin, and self. You know, until you get to that point in your life where you recognize that you are under judgment, you acknowledge your guilt before God, and you understand you deserve judgment, just judgment for your sin. You know, until you come to that point in your life, and that's what happened to me the night when the Spirit of God said, Bob, it's time to come. I knew the truth. But now I was convicted of the truth by the Spirit of God. And believe you me, I repented. I saw myself needing a Savior. I knew about the Savior, but I needed Him. You see, until you repent, change your mind about your attitude and actions concerning God. You see yourself in light of how God sees you. I was raised in a Christian home. I thank the Lord for that. But you know, big deal. That doesn't save me. There has to be a point, you see, where you are convicted to the point where you understand, I am a sinner. I am deserving of judgment. And I will be judged justly if I do not repent. Confess my sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and come to him for salvation. So these are some of the things we mentioned this morning. Uh, just a little bit concerning what we started here in this second statement. Now where I would like to start off uh, this evening is focusing a little bit more closely uh, when we, uh, by looking at the saved Thief, And we see this uh, that he believed the truth, although it was very limited. And when you think about how this man came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's really quite interesting. Now let's take just a moment to read verses 39 through 42 of chapter 23. Verses 39 through 42. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not ever even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds... But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. All right, this led up to the statement, of course, of what Jesus said in verse 43, which we have already read. Assuredly, I say unto you, today you shall be with me in paradise. So let's take just a few moments and look a little bit as to what this individual deals with before us here. I think what we have before us here is what we call a representative sinner. He represents all sinners. There's no question this man was a sinner. He wasn't hanging on a cross for nothing. He was hanging on a cross for the sins he had committed that deserved death. That type of judgment. 
And but you know, that's true of all of us. All of us are sinners, guilty before a holy and righteous God, all deserving divine justice and judgment. All of us. So I call him a representative sinner. Now, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 41 through 44, the Holy Spirit revealed that both thieves at the beginning were reviling and saying the same things that this one thief was saying here in Luke's account. So this means in, in the beginning, both of these men were reviling and saying things to the Lord Jesus Christ that were very derogatory, contrary to what they should be saying, both of them. But then it becomes obvious for some reason, because you see, the, uh, Jeremiah tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know or understand it? Yes, that's you, that's me, it's true of both of these thieves. Their hearts were desperately wicked. Who could understand what they were doing? They didn't at first, but it's interesting, all of a sudden, one of them begins to realize this. And again, as I mentioned before, it is not until one's desperate con condition is realized that they discover their need of a divine savior. If you never see a need, you're not going to do anything about it. But this one began to see there was a desperate need. And that's why things began to change in this man's life. And here we see a man who not only recognized he was a sinner in verse 41, but also that he was helpless to do anything about it. Now, you hear a lot about this, you know. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. But, you know, there's no more vivid picture than what was taking place with this man. He, see, he not only recognized he was a sinner, he recognized at this point in time there wasn't one thing he could do. Now, what do most men and women uh, used to justify not coming to Christ. They think they're all right. Somehow, some way, they're going to make it to glory. Well, normally, you know, I'm trying to walk righteously. I'm trying to live a good life. You know, I, I try to do good works when I can. Well, think about this thief on the cross. He was not in a position to do any works of righteousness. He could not perform any good works. Why? His hands and feet were nailed to a cross. What could he possibly do to earn salvation? Absolutely nothing. Representative sinner. It's true of you and it's true of me. There's absolutely nothing. We should literally view ourselves as having our hands and feet nailed to a cross, hanging somewhere, and now you're going to try to work your way to heaven. It just can't happen. 
And this is brought before us in this particular situation. He was totally helpless to do this. So here we see that a realization or conviction of one's sinful and helpless condition is the sole prerequisite for coming to Christ for salvation. Do you remember the day when you came to that conclusion? I hope you do. If there's not a time in your life when you were convicted that you were in a helpless, hopeless condition, and the only thing you could do was turn to Christ for your salvation. You will remember that moment. I just shared mine very briefly. My wife can share hers very briefly. You know, without a shadow of doubt, the moment that happened. And if you do not have a moment that you know that the Spirit of God convicted you, that you were hopelessly lost and rightly to be judged, and you cried out to him for salvation, I would question whether or not you really have Christ in your life. Christ in you is your only hope of glory. That's for you to examine yourself. We're not going to belabor that point, but it gets back to the idea of repentance and those types of things that we talked about before. Now, there's some things here, I think, that are worth noting. This man heard and saw the meaning of repentance and faith was necessary for salvation. First of all, as I mentioned, repentance. And we talked about that, so we're not going to dwell upon that again. But he said, Dost thou not fear God? In verse 40. That word for fear is reverence, awe. Dost thou not reverence or awe or fear God? Now he's speaking to the other thief. See, they both were reviling at one time. But now, all of a sudden, he begins to realize some things. You know, he understood that he was on the cross for a reason. And he was dying justly. He was receiving the just judgment for what he had done. But he began to realize there is a greater judgment coming. And that is also justly his. He began to understand that. Dost thou not fear God? Reverence God? Again, in the world today, a lot of people talk about God all the time. In fact, there's so many gods in the world today, you can't keep track of the number of gods, even though there is only one true and living God. So we talk about God all the time. But you have to understand something. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's the one who is in a position to judge you justly. He knows your every thought. He knows everything you have ever done. And most importantly, he knows if you have looked to him for salvation. You can fool everybody in this room but you cannot fool God. You see, this man began to understand, it's time for me to repent. Now, he didn't probably use the word repentance, 
See, it's an action based upon an attitude or a change of mind. His mind was being changed at this point in time. And now, as you note this thief's repentance towards God, we also see that his repentance was accompanied with faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. He began to have faith in the one he was looking to now. And you know, in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit, the sovereignty of God, and belief, faith in the truth, which is the responsibility of man. It's interesting, in this particular verse, we have the sovereignty of God and we have the responsibility of man. The sovereignty of God was Jesus Christ dying on Calvary's cross. He was God, the only true and living God come in the flesh. And yet, being next to him was not enough. See, there's also the act of the will on the part of the thief. So, he understood reverence towards God, but at the same time, that repentance has to be accompanied by faith in this only true and living God. And we see that being exercised in this situation as well. We see this in the, in the saved person's life this way. You see, he believed the truth. The truth of what? Well, it was very limited. He had very limited truth concerning the person hanging next to him. But you see, it isn't the amount of truth you have, it's what you do with it. And you know, with the limited truth he had revealed to him, his faith took hold of the word of God. Now, what word of God did he hear? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Who said those words? God did. Jesus Christ was God, the Son, who became the God-man, the Son of Man, for one purpose. To die for the sin of all mankind. He heard the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. So this man heard the Word of God. And what he heard concerning the Word of God, he accepted by faith. Now, <clears throat> when you look at the limited knowledge, as I said, he heard the Lord's Prayer, Father, forgive them. But, you know, that's not the only thing. You know, I, I was trying to think about many th different things. You know, how was it that this man, in such a short period of time, could come to enough knowledge of the truth, accepted by faith, that led the Lord to say, Today, you shall be with me in paradise. Well, some other things that he probably saw or heard of was a sign over the cross. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. And of course, the, the crowd was hollering, 
If you be the Christ, if you're the king of the Jews, you're all these things, come on down. Then we'll worship you. And they probably would have. But what good would it have done? <laughs> if Christ came down from the cross, there would be no forgiveness of sin. He had to be on the cross. But you see, he probably saw or heard at least people talking about that sign. And you know, you know, Pilate wrote those words in mockery. We know that. And yet, God would not allow it to be altered. For it was the truth. It was the truth. He was the king of the Jews, but he's more than that. He's king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. But you see, that's just something he probably became aware of. And we read in scripture many times that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Where the heart man will believe unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession and repentance is made unto salvation. You know, this man had limited head knowledge. But he cried out humbly with great heart knowledge. Lord, remember, or it could easily be rendered, Lord, remember, forgive me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I couldn't help but think, as you look at the limited knowledge that this individual had, you know, sometimes we're so critical about whether or not we can accept this person as being a Christian or not a Christian because they don't have all the words that we think they should have. And I came across, as I was studying this, Something by Watchman Nee. I don't know if you've heard of Watchman Nee, but I have a, a devotional of his. And keeping this thought in mind, great heart knowledge, little head knowledge, but some, but great heart knowledge. And he used this passage for his devotional, Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me, look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And then he writes this. How aptly this describes the experience of the dying thief. All history had pointed forward to the cross of Christ. Now the event itself was being enacted before men's eyes. And this criminal was a key witness. A model sinner. He was, re was receiving a model punishment. He must conclude, therefore, that his was a model conversion. Yet I ask you. Did he recognize Jesus as Savior? Consider his words. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That's what he said. What did the Lord reply? He did not explain the atonement to this man, telling him his punishment was just, but that he, Jesus, was dying in his stead as a sacrifice for sin. To us it would seem, have seemed an excellent opportunity to announce the truths of redemption. But no, he answered only, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. For the thief saw dimly who Jesus was, that though suffering unjustly, he would reign and have a kingdom. Beholding at his side the Lord of all the earth, he cried out to him, and that was enough. 
end of quote. You know, the, the thing is, it isn't how much you know here, it's what you know here. You see, I had all kinds of head knowledge when I was 11 years old. I really did. Because I was taught the scriptures constantly. Praise God. I was. But I didn't have it here. And there's a difference. It has to be here. You know, I getting back to this aspect is... It's amazing how this thief grew in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as we read in Scripture in just a few hours. A few hours is all he had. How was this possible? Well, to me, it's the revealing power of the Holy Spirit of God. It's the only answer, really. The Spirit of God revealed to this man enough that the Lord was able to say to him, when he set, cried out, today, you shall be with me in paradise. Now again, just to review once again, a little bit of which took place here. He reveals several things as recorded in our text. And let's just look at the text, you've got it right in front of you. What was revealed? Well, from the things that he said, first of all, the belief in a future life and judgment. A belief in a future life and judgment. Uh, <laughs> you see, he realized, dost not thou fear God? For what? Well, obviously there's a future life. He's going to come into his kingdom. <laughs> he feared God. He understood that, yes, I deserve the judgment I'm getting now, but I'm a guilty sinner, and I justly deserve the judgment of God because of my sin. You see, he began to understand that there was a future life in judgment. Now, don't ask me how this all happens, but obviously from his statements, this is a, a great conclusion. He realized his own sinfulness. He says, we are in the same judgment and justly so. That tells me he recognized he was a sinner. Sounds simple, but it's amazing how much people don't feel they're great sinners. Oh, I'm not, I may not be perfect, but I know a lot of people worse than I am. Of course, we always compare ourselves with people that are worse than we are in our own mind's eye. We never compare ourselves with people who are holier and righteous than we are in our mind's eye. See, he understood that he was a, sin, he was a sinner. He saw that, he, he, that sin merited judgment. He bore testimony to Christ's sinlessness. This man has done nothing wrong. He recognized that. Now, you know, we don't know an awful lot, and Dave and I were talking about this a little bit after the first meeting. You know, here we have these two thieves, and we mentioned this morning uh, that all of those who were saved at Pentecost, you know, many of them were those who were at 
the scene of the cross. Now we don't know all that much about just what took place, but you know, when you think about he believed uh, in the testimony of Christ's sinlessness, maybe he did see a sinless life. We don't know if he had any contact with the Lord before this. There's nothing in, in scripture here in the account that suggests that. So more than likely could have been his first encounter, but it's possible he might have seen Christ sometime in his lifetime. But I wouldn't grab too much onto that. That's my own feeling. I think the Spirit of God is just beginning to re reveal things to him. Limited, but definitely there. Then he confessed Christ's Godhead. He called him Lord. You know how important that word is? You know, I have people who say, I believe in God. I say, that's great. The devil believes in God. Then they'll go on and say, well, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, a lot of people believe in Jesus. But you know, when a person comes up to me and he starts talking, he says, you know what the Lord has done for me? There's something, I shouldn't say magical, that's not a good word to use, but that just popped into my head. There's something that just lightens you up when somebody talks about the Lord. Because, you know, Scripture tells us no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. All right, John 12, 3. No one can call Jesus Lord, really call him Lord, except by the Spirit of God. But this man acknowledged his Lordship. He called him Lord, remember me. He didn't say, Jesus, remember me. He said, Lord, remember me. Somehow the Spirit of God revealed the Godhead of the Lord Jesus Christ. He also believed in the Lord's ability to save. He said, you know, he heard, as we said before, Father, forgive them. Which, of course, led to his prayer, Lord, remember me. Forgive me. Now, how many times the Lord said that? And again, Dave was mentioning this. And uh, I know that the Greek word, and he was sharing that, the Greek word is written in the present continuous tense, which indicates it's an ongoing statement or meaning. It's a matter of how you want to look at it. It is possible that during that period of time, the Lord was on the cross for those three hours before the darkness came, he might have been praying intercessively over and over again. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, we don't know if it was repetitive. It wouldn't surprise me in one way, because, you know, when I'm praying on behalf of somebody intercessively, I'm really concerned about you in your situation, and we just heard about this uh, terrible situation that has happened, well, you're going to intercede on behalf of them. And I know you're going to pray for them more than once. That's just how it goes. When it's intercessory prayer, 
that's on your heart, particularly in relationship to salvation. And you know, if he was saying this over and over again, it was, again, Father, forgive them. Abba, Father, forgive them. All those Jews out there. Every time he said it, if he said it more than once, which he probably could have very easily, it reminded them that I and the Father are one. He had told them that. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I and my Father are one, one in the same essence. It reminded those Jews out there who were crucifying him that he was the Son of God. But this man heard, Father, forgive him. So he believed in the Lord's ability to save him. And that's what led to the statement, Lord, remember me. Forgive me when you come in to your kingdom. And of course, he evidenced his faith in Christ's kingship. He says, when thou comest into thy kingdom. But this also points out he looked forward to a second coming of the Lord. Because the emphasis now is, when thou comest into thy kingdom. How can a dead person come into a kingdom and have a kingdom? He can't. When kings died, that was the end of their kingdom. He says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into your kingdom. All right, see, there's so much in these little words if you've already begun to look at it. He looked forward, as I said, to the second coming of Christ. And he saw beyond the sufferings of the Lord to the glory of the Lord. See, remember, the Holy Spirit was his teacher. And here's a tremendous lesson for all of us here tonight. The Holy Spirit of God is ready, willing, and able to save anyone who is ready, willing, and able to come to the Lord. It doesn't matter how much head knowledge you have. The Lord knows the heart. And it's amazing. In this short period of time, what this man began to realize, because he was willing to listen with a view of obeying God's word. Now, we don't have time to talk about the other thief. You know, this guy saw the same thing. He heard the same things. Everything was the same. The same spirit of God was there. And he was not only speaking to this thief that was saved, he was speaking to the other thief and all the people out there. Convicting, convicting. But what's the difference? One was willing to listen with a view of obeying. He, he opened his eyes and ears to the truth. And that's why the Lord could say to him today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. The other thief, all three died that day. 
One went to paradise. Well, actually two did. <laughs> but we'll get to that later. <laughs> but see, the other one didn't. And it's all because, yes, the sovereignty of God provided the way of salvation. But there's man's responsibility to accept it. And you do that by an act of the will. Now, one other thought I just want to uh, point out here. We also see the destination of the saved at death. All of us have lost loved ones. Well, what happens to those loved ones who know the Lord? Well, we see what happens in this example of the thief. Today, you shall be with me in paradise. Paul puts it this way, absent from the body, present with the Lord that quick. You know, I have, you know, people, and I know I've heard it from all of you, and you've heard it from me. I'm looking forward to the rapture. All right? And we heard it this morning at the Lord's table. Can't wait. <laughs> you know, next year, I want to be in the Lord's presence. We all do. But you see, we all want to go by way of the trumpet. Because we don't like the idea of dying. But it doesn't matter whether you die or the trump sounds. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the rapture, you're gone. The moment you die, you're absent from the body, present with the Lord. It all happens just as quickly. And we see here what happens to the destination of the, of the saved at death. They go to be with the Lord today. You will be with me in paradise. That quickly. Well, our time is gone. So I think we'll bring this to a conclusion. I think we covered it fairly well. You know, this verse here again, 2343, Assuredly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. That's his second saying on the cross. I mean, what blessed words of salvation. This is what salvation is all about. It's not just, you know, to make me a better person down here, although it should and it will, if you allow Christ to be Lord in your life. The, the primary purpose of salvation is we're going to be with the Lord. And we didn't have time to deal with one other thing I can just mention. And that is, you know, the Lord really is longing for fellowship with his saints. He says to this man today, you will be with me in paradise. We forget sometimes how anxious the Lord is for us to be in his presence. That's why the Lord takes pleasure in the death of his saints. Why? They're now with him. That's what he wanted more than anything else. You and me to be with him. Isn't that a marvelous thought? You know, heaven would not be heaven, I'm sure, as far as 
Christ is concerned completely at this point in time until his loved ones, his redeemed ones, are with him in glory. He's looking forward to that day where he will present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding great joy. Who's exceeding great joy? His. Isn't that a marvelous truth? I know we're looking forward to it. But you know, it's hard to believe. I think the Lord is looking forward to it more than we are. What a blessed time it's going to be for us. But I'll tell you, he's looking forward to having us with him. That's why he came to die on the cross. Surely, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Well, we've seen the first two statements. Lord willing, and we've got a couple more the next time we get together. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and dear Heavenly Father, how we rejoice in what we've been looking at tonight. We think of this thief, deserving of death and judgment, but having his eyes open as the Spirit of God opens his heart and his mind to the truths of what he saw and heard. We're so thankful this, this evening to know that if we are just willing to listen with a view of obeying you and your word, we will someday be in paradise with thee. Oh, how this should encourage our hearts. But we also realize that unless we repent of our sin and turn to thee for salvation, we will not be in your presence for all eternity. The most important thing, the most important decision we will ever make in this life is what we do in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. We just thank you for the plan of salvation, for the person, for the atoning work of Christ. For those of us who know that we rejoice in the blessed hope we have in thee, and if there is anyone here tonight who has never accepted thee as Lord and Savior, may they understand the urgency of doing so as soon as possible and before it is forever too late. Part us now with your blessing. Bring us to our various homes in safety, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.